2: Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie.
1: And I'm Elliot.
2: And we are going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender.
1: We're home from Halifax. Yeah. We had a really nice trip. It's always yeah. bittersweet. Coming when home is hard. It is. the That last day of vacation is always like, oh man, like I, I've been having a really good time and you're not dealing with... The day-to-day stuff that you deal with at home yeah and you, you're kind of like oh I'm gonna have to go back to that but also at the same time you're like I'm excited to go home and like be sleeping in my own bed and be in my own house and stuff like see that
2: see my cat
1: yeah yeah
2: yeah and I like I have such bad um anxiety in general but travel anxiety that like the first couple days I'm like I just want to go home I just want to go home I just want to go home and then I finally like
1: Find a groove. Yeah,
2: I, like, get to know the place, and I start to feel comfortable, and then I'm like, well, now I don't want to go home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, it was nice that we went a little bit longer this time, so that, like, often I spend two days feeling like, incredibly anxious.
1: And we're gone for, like, five days. Yeah,
2: <laughs> so <laughs> then I have, like, two days of, like, good, and then one of, like, oh, no, I have to go home. Mm-hmm. So it was nice that we were there for longer, but yeah. coming home was hard.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, had a, re- had a really nice, <clears throat> had a really nice trip. It was great uh, meeting up with Jeremy, doing the episode and meeting up with the other folks there as well. It was it was it was nice. It was a nice first post. I mean, we're still in a pandemic, but like trip after the pandemic has started. Yeah, it was it was really great.
2: And we're taking another one right away.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: What were we thinking?
1: Um, But being back, it's been nice. like. Essentially ever since we decided to put our house on the market until last week when we got back from the trip or this week whatever um it's just been go 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 yeah like i felt i feel like it's just we've had to get so many things in order and so many things done and you know then we moved in and it's kind of like we have to use all of our spare moments to either prep for this trip or to get the house start getting the house together and like buying furniture and all this stuff I feel like this week was just nice and chill. Like, we came back, uh, readjusted from the jet lag, um, and just kind of a nice, like, kind of not worried about anything.
2: Well, I think there's something to be said about, like, this house is still really new, and then, like, going away for 10 days and coming back and feeling like we're home mm-hmm. maybe, like, solidified it as, like, oh, yeah, this is home. This does yeah. feel comfortable. Like, I was excited to come back here, and go for a walk in the neighborhood and sleep mm-hmm. in my bed and watch TV and like the TV or TV area we have without hearing the footsteps of the people above us <laughs> yeah, and yeah. all of those things, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been really nice. Yeah. You got a little sicky, sicky.
2: Yeah.
1: It's a little stinky. Yeah. But at least it was now and not on our trip. Yeah. But you're feeling better. Mostly. It's good. Yeah. um We did do some fun things this week. First, we took our friends, Ashley and Perry, to see Nope and IMAX. Yeah. I've seen it for the second time.
2: <laughs> we love to do that. We love to go to movies with them that we've already seen once.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I enjoyed it even more the second time around.
2: Yeah, I bumped up my rating to a five out of five. Same. Friggin love it.
1: It's so good. And, and then, like
2: worth seeing in IMAX. Yeah. Having seen it twice now in IMAX, I'm like, it's the only way you see it. <laughs> it's the
1: purest way. <laughs> Uh yeah, I've done and I did the same thing with people at work. I'm like, because they were asking me how it was. I'm like, well, I've seen it twice now, and I recommend seeing it in IMAX. So yeah, I'm sending everybody to see it in IMAX. Um, so that was really fun. That was really great. And then we had a little um get together with your fam for your birthday, and yeah. you and you got one of the sweetest. I got gifts. a really special gift. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I am. Um, so a couple weeks ago, in our big teary episode. <laughs> Um, I talked about how, uh, would have been in Christmas 2010. My sister made me a Marcel the Shell with sandals on. Mm -hmm. I posted the only image of it we have on our Instagram at (laughs) baddad.raddad. Um, not a very good image. It's a very, I took a picture of this on a crappy phone at Christmas time. Um, but somehow along the way I he broke or he got lost and I don't have him anymore. And my sister made me a new Marcel the Shell.
1: It's very good.
2: And it's a it's a Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Like it's a
1: And the display case is stepped up from a <laughs> Ferrero Rocher <laughs> yeah. case. She
2: had him in a big Ferrero Rocher um case, the the sandals on guy. But this one she put in, she said it's for um golf balls.
0: Oh okay. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. she said. So That's perfect.
2: Yeah, I kind of she when she handed me the the gift and I mean, you know, we're all in our 30s and my brother's just about in his 30s. We mostly just get each other gift cards.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um and then she was like be careful it's fragile and I was like, "Oh my god, did she make me another Marcel?
1: <laughs> oh, you had that thought? Oh yeah. Nice.
2: Because I I don't think she listens to the show, but um I had had a little like wine night with my mom and my two sisters. Um a few weeks ago and I had I had told like my sister the story of like how that was one of the last happy times and how he was broken and that kind of thing I, I mm-hmm. kind of told her that in advance of us recording the episode mm-hmm. um, so she had that on her mind and I had told her that like I really want to see Marcella Shell with her um, and she said she'd wait to watch it with me I don't know why people do that I'm like I've already mm-hmm. seen it and you're gonna wait and watch it with me that's very sweet um yeah. Anyway, it was a very, 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 very sweet gift.
1: It's very nice. And, we should post a picture of oh, it oh, yeah, on Instagram because it's, it's beautifully very made good.
2: too. Yeah. Very yeah. crafty sister I have.
1: Yeah. It's very well done. I love it. Yeah.
2: Those are some things. Those
1: are some things. We had a, uh, so getting into the movies that we watched this week, we had a very, kind of had a bit of a vibe this week. Bit
2: like, of a sad, reflective vibe. Yeah.
1: Very like slow, thoughtful, reflective, with the exception of one movie. It was, That was kind of the vibe yeah. of everything we picked this week.
2: Really different from last week where everything was a little bit like zany and over the top. and
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but let's get into it. So the first movie that we watched was my mystery movie pick. And I picked the 2019 dramedy Paddleton. It was directed by Alex Lehman and written by uh, our homeboy, Mark Duplass <laughs> and Alex Lehman. It stars Mark Duplass as Michael and Ray Romano as Andy. Those are our key players in this one. Synopsis: An unlikely friendship between two misfit neighbors becomes an unexpectedly emotional journey when the younger man is diagnosed with terminal cancer. So, already from the synopsis, sad. We're getting real. Yeah. Um, so I picked this because it's 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 popped up on a number of lists of movie that has movies similar to kind of vibes that we like like come on come on and things like that um and i've it's gotten good reviews and some praise by other people that i follow on letterboxd and i think at least for me in my picks this week in you know the spirit of those like thoughtful and reflective kind of movies i think because last week it felt like we were kind of At least for me, I mean to like have pick movies that were a little bit more fun or have, you know, a little bit more levity in them. Good group watches. Yeah, I think that that's where the focus was a little bit more. And I think this week I wanted to go a little bit more introspective and and a little bit more thoughtful. So that's where I kick things off with with Paddleton. So what do you think?
2: So I've actually been meaning to watch this for a long time. I don't know if you remember this, but. In 2019, when it came out, I had a student recommend it to me. Who, um, I would often chat with him about movies. So many years before we started this podcast, <laughs> he's graduated, probably doesn't even know it exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, "You gotta watch this. You'd really like it." And then I kept mm-hmm. for like the subsequent years confusing Paddleton and Patterson. Fair, but I did. I did remember he talked about Ray Romano and and Mark Duplass. So, like I knew. Well, I might like confuse what the name of it was, I knew that that was the movie he had told me that I should watch. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about watching it at the time and then, you know, things just fall off your radar. Um, so I'm really glad that I finally watched it and I will no longer confuse Paddleton and Patterson. Yeah, I've, Now that I've seen them both, you picked them both. Um, I've got them in, in my mind. So I actually, I think it's been made clear that we like Mark Duplass. Yeah. But I also really like Ray Romano.
1: Yeah, he's especially recently. I mean, um, I thought he was really great in The Big Sick.
2: Sure, don't remember him in that, but I believe you. <laughs> is he her dad? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he is good in
1: that. Yeah. I re- and I really liked um, the chemistry between him and Camila Najiani yeah. in that movie. Um, and then I really liked him in Parenthood. Parenthood yeah, uh, he was awesome in that. And then this is what, well, like, he's just playing. He's playing like he's playing into his like sort of comedic sensibilities a little bit, but it's kind of what we've talked about a lot, where a a typically or somebody that's been associated with comedy starts dabbling in more dr- dramatic kind of roles, and he crushes it in these roles. I think he's just so, I don't know. I love watching him in these roles. He's really good at it, and there's just like this very human earnesty that comes out of him.
2: Do you know that I've seen most of Everybody Loves Raymond? Is that true? It is true. How? <laughs> wow. So interrogated. Um, uh, it was my stepmom's favorite show.
1: So you'd watch it together?
2: Uh, well, it would be on while I was at my dad's house. And like, I had a lot of complicated and conflicted feelings about having to spend time at my dad's house when my parents separated when I was 12. Because he often wasn't there. Right. It would be like my stepsister, my stepbrother, my stepmom and me and my brother. Yeah. Um, But I'll always say yes to TV and movies. Mm-hmm. So when she would put on Everybody Loves Raymond, I'm like, OK, well, I'll watch that. I'd rather do that than think about the fact that I'm being forced to spend the weekend at my dad's house when he's not even here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen, yeah, like all of it. And I feel like I felt conflicted about it because I'm like, mm, my stepmom likes this. Right. But also it, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. You liked it? Like, Yeah. Yeah.
1: I haven't seen, like, I only caught, like, back in when it was airing, when I got home from school, it'd be on, like, TBS Superstation, and i just catch an episode here or there.
2: Yeah, I think that my stepmom had, um, the DVDs.
1: Oh, so, so we she just, like, threw it on.
2: Yeah, it was on all the time, so. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know that I, like, watched it in any coherent order, but I've seen a lot of it. Interesting. Um, yeah, you didn't know that, eh?
1: I did not know no. that.
2: Yeah, so, uh complicated like associations with it but yeah. um it was one of the things i enjoyed doing when i would be at my dad's house would be watching everybody loves raymond so interesting yeah and then like seeing him kind of move into this different direction in his career where he's doing these more um he still like you said got his co- comedic sense of humor but in this more grounded realism mm-hmm. really cool um something i really liked about this movie was the way it highlights the different relationships a person can choose to have be the focus of their life. Yeah. That, like, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship that centers you.
1: Yeah. That's, big, that's the biggest takeaway from for me yeah. from this movie. Like,
2: there's different configurations of relationship that can fulfill a person's needs, mm-hmm. and they don't have to be live-in romantic relationships.
1: Yeah. I'm like much like last black Men in San Francisco. I just really love how this depicts a very beautiful male relationship and how it's. Yeah. Again, it's like, it's not rooted in, in like a romantic relationship, but it's just like this really caring. It, and it's like, it, it has its complications. Like all relationships do. Like it's not a perfect relationship, but it's, Between these two people, that you wouldn't even think would become like, even in like the synopsis, it says like it's an unlikely friendship Mm -hmm. that would form between these two neighbors, but like they spent all of their time together. Mm -hmm. Like they've, like you said, they've chosen to spend their lives together. Their lives together. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think so. It's no secret. I love me a gay movie. Yeah. But there was no point in this where I was like, oh, this would be better if they fell in love. Like, yeah. There's something really profound about showing how platonic relationships and like chosen family can be just as important and just as meaningful and that like they're not just one way to proceed in like the world with a you know romantic partner who you move in with and you live with forever you know like
1: yeah and i'm curious too and like you know and and maybe i've like totally missed and haven't seen more films like this but I feel like if you if you don't have a movie like I Love You Man which was like the first big budget type of movie that would that prominently features the relationship between two guys well, that just I don't just know that I would friends. say the first N- but like
2: maybe one of the first we saw
1: but like also just like the most accessible like it was kind of I right in the know, way have
2: you seen Grumpy Old Men?
1: <laughs> I actually have I like those movies yeah they're great <laughs> but like I I feel like the relationships in a a movie like I Love You Man is just like it's played for jokes and it's like not as well developed and like and I feel like when I feel like there's more there's maybe more movies or more of a tendency for these kinds of movies like Last Black Man in San Francisco or like Paddleton where it's wanting to focus on these kind of more these these male relationships that have more depth to them that aren't romantic but are they it's not just played for jokes
2: well what's happening in I love you man is the relationship that Paul Rudd develops with Jason Segel becomes a source of conflict in his relationship with is he with Leslie Mann? E-
1: no Rashida Jones
2: right rashida uh, that's this is forty yeah um Right. It becomes a source of conflict where now his friendship with Jason Segel is conflicting and competing with his relationship with his romantic partner. Right. Um, Now, this film isn't looking at that. This film is looking at how there's different configurations of who we choose to spend our lives with. And it's not necessarily romantic. Yeah. And that's never even like a conversation in this movie that these like these men are choosing to spend their lives with each other and to love each other and support each other but they wish they had a partner. Yeah. You know, that's not even a that's not even a question in this film. And that's beautiful.
1: Oh yeah. I, yeah, I love it.
2: There was a point in my life where I thought that would be my path forward where I wasn't necessarily looking to move in with a romantic partner and spend my life with them where I I had I genuinely felt like I could live with a friend. Um, I wanted that kind of live in companionship, but that I could live the rest of my life with a friend and then like have romantic partnerships outside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, then you just swooped in.
1: Yeah. I, I, you told me that dream and I just like, <laughs> you just crushed I'm like it. no. Well, here's
2: the thing but you, <laughs> are, you are my best friend. Yeah. And I, I genuinely, genuinely believe if you weren't my friend, I wouldn't want to live with you.
1: Hey. No, I'm just
2: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it was just, if all you and I had was a romantic partnership and we didn't have this deep friendship and we didn't love spending time together and didn't have these mutual interests, I don't think I'd be interested in living with you. Mm-hmm. So I did get what I want in that I do live with a best friend. Mm-hmm. But then you had to shoehorn that romance in.
1: Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. You did. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, like I said, this the, the the relationship between Michael and Andy in this is just beautiful. It's so great. And I I I I love movies that explore these kinds of relationships. I want to see more of them. Me too. Um if anybody listening knows of movies more movies like this, please hit us up uh on our Instagram, DM us with some of them cuz I, I I'd watch tons more of these kinds of movies, these kinds of relationships. Um I I had a, I had a couple of thoughts about this too. So, um, I think that something that really stuck out for me is the kind of the way that grief can kind of paralyze a person a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like once, um, Michael gets his cancer diagnosis, he's very quick to kind of make a decision of how he wants to proceed with his treatment or how, how he kind of operates once he has his diagnosis. Whereas yeah. I feel like it takes a while for Ray Romano's character of Andy to accept uh Michael's decision about that and like kind of lives in this state of denial a little bit while also while also wanting to be understanding. And it's just kind of how it it I feel it feels like he's kind of stuck, Andy. Yeah. Like And he well, he's kind of struggling to navigate that, how to get to where he eventually can get to, you know?
2: What I think the film is exploring so well is that difficulty in being the person who isn't going through the thing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a, like, illness that is a death sentence. It can be anything, right? You know, if your partner decides they want to quit their job or um, mm-hmm. a friendship ends or, you know, I think about, everything that's happened with your family. Mm -hmm. I had no say in that. Yeah. But it impacts me, but it impacts you more. And so being that person on the side who like, you know, you need to be supportive of the person going through the thing and feeling like, what right do I have to impose my feelings on this situation? And yet you do have feelings and it is impacting you. I think it's a really tricky thing to navigate. Mm-hmm. I've been through it, particularly with the stuff with your family, with having to eventually say to you, this is really impacting me too. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to find a way forward that acknowledges the way this is impacting both of us in different ways.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's where I felt like, you know, Andy kind of feels like he's just like paralyzed with like this grief and this fear and it kind of just builds up within himself to what you're describing which has happened in i'd say in both of our lives where things just kind of sit and stew inside of us or inside of other people and then eventually it just kind of explodes and maybe an emotion that it's not actually rooted in
2: yeah there was a scene in this movie where i was like you need
1: therapy yeah (laughs) yeah therapy
2: yeah but i but i think that that's a really valuable thing to you know to look at and be a conversation starter of what is it like to be the person who is the support figure or the um, the person who's not directly impacted by something and yet it still has a tangible effect on them as well. How do you navigate yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it's, it's really well done. I had this other thought too and I'm going to try to navigate this without getting into spoiler territory <laughs> but something that's recurring throughout the whole movie that Andy and Michael do together as they watch kung fu movies. Like they yes. get together and watch kung fu movies. And I I like Well,
2: a kung fu movie.
1: Yeah, but they just watch it over and over again. Over yeah. and over again. And it I had this thought of, you know, just how maybe after Michael receives his cancer diagnosis, how this idea of fighting and how Andy sees it compared to Michael after that. Mm. And, you know, in the sense that fighting can be both a violent act that's being committed against something or like an aggress, like an aggression, mm-hmm. but also this is very everything. Every yeah, I was ones, say. But fighting can also be a quiet, peaceful thing. And I think that in the, in the world or in the, in the scenario of a cancer diagnosis, you can fight it with radiation, with chemo. You can go really aggressive at fighting it. Or you can just allow, you know, your body to take it on by itself. And you can just live out your life the way you want to. So there's kind of...
2: And so many variations in between, right?
1: Exactly. So it's just kind of interesting how we keep going back to this Kung Fu movie where it has, like, these these scenes of, like, physical aggressive fighting
2: but even within those scenes there's a character who often says they don't want to fight yeah yeah yeah,
1: exactly and i think that that's kind of just kind of an examination of what's also going on with our two main characters
2: well i think that means it's a well-made movie yeah yeah intentional mirroring i mean this is a movie that um could absolutely destroy me if i'm watching it on the right day yeah or the wrong day however you want (laughs) to look at that um, it didn't this time, but I think it could.
1: Yeah, like it still hit me. Like I, yeah, I definitely. I felt oh, like, feels. Yeah, and uh, I shed a few tears uh, in me it too, as yeah. well. Like yeah, it hit, it hit me right in the feels. But I agree with you. Like I think if it was like a very particular kind of day, it would just obliterate. Crying, me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I think the way that it shows the complexity of emotions and decisions around a person or a very close friend or family members uh, cancer diagnosis can affect both sides of the mm-hmm. people that that's affecting um, yeah and yeah I just I, I don't know like the first thing of Mark Duplass's as I saw was Baghead and I, I've I've <laughs> kind of been in since then like, oh
2: yeah I really like Mark Duplass I will watch everything he's involved in
1: yeah There's still, I haven't seen everything of his but but a lot yeah really like it yeah. Really like what he does, um, but how did Paddleton make you feel?
2: It made me really thankful for the different kinds of relationships that can exist. Like it made me really reflective about some of the really profound, beautiful friendships that I have, and particularly, I've had some friendships that have really deepened over the last couple of years that I feel incredibly thankful for. Just reflective about like the people in my life who I'm choosing to have in my life like who are the people I go to that I want to talk to during those tough times and that I've chosen to have be those people and who have chosen me Mm -hmm. just made me really yeah reflective and thankful for those things
1: yeah I I, uh, I echo a lot of that yeah like I think that even though the subject matter is you know it's certainly sad it's tough and it's dealing with some complex emotions and thoughts I'm, I'm happy to see Relationships like this depicted on screen. And like I said, I want to see more of them in the movies that I watch, and I'll, I'll definitely seek them out. But yeah, very happy nice. to see this.
2: Yeah. Me too. Glad you picked it.
1: Yeah, me too.
2: Our one outlier of the week was what I picked next. Mm hmm. Bit controversial within a, made a, made a big boo boo with this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talk about in a second. So I picked the um, 1985 comedy mystery Clue. Mm hmm. Directed by Jonathan Lynn, written. Whoa, was that right? Yeah. Directed by Jonathan Lynn, written by Jonathan Lynn and John Landis, based on the board game by Anthony E. Pratt. Um, synopsis Six guests are anonymously invited to a strange mansion for dinner, but after their host is killed, they must cooperate with the staff to identify the murderer as the bodies pile up. Um, <laughs> it is starring the phenomenal Tim Curry. As Wadsworth, Christopher Lloyd as Professor Plum, Michael McKean as Mr. Green, Eileen Brennan as Mrs. Peacock, Madeline Kahn as Mrs. White, Martin Mull as Colonel Mustard, and Leslie Ann Warren as Miss Scarlett. So I've been wanting you to watch this movie, our whole relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved this movie as a kid. When I put this on, as soon as you saw it was Clue, you said, hey, didn't our one friend say he wanted to watch this with us? And I was like, no, that was clueless. And you were like, I thought it was clue. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was clueless. And we continued to watch it. Then a handful of days later, I went out for lunch with this friend and we saw, we were walking in downtown Edmonton and saw that the Citadel is putting on a clue play. And I was like, Oh, Hey, it was clueless. You wanted to watch with us, not clue. Right. And he goes, it was clue. (laughs) And I was like, Oh my goodness. Um, Then I apologized profusely. He called me a monster and we continued on our lunch date. (laughs) So I messed up. Um, Not much I can do about it now. I apologize. (laughs) What did you think of Clue?
1: I mean, I've wanted to see this for a long time and I know we tried to watch it once a long time ago and I think everybody fell asleep.
2: I think what (laughs) happened is it was at my one sister's house and it was just on TV and we were like, oh my goodness, Clue! Clue! And and it was late at night and we hadn't been planning on watching it, and then yes, indeed, everyone fell asleep.
1: Yeah. Um but just kind of knowing the little bit about it that I knew, I, I was ready for like a silly rumpus. The and, and um I mean, I can safely say this is one of the best movies I've ever seen based on a board game. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that got me thinking, what other movies are there based on board games? Jumanji? But
1: that's like within its own universe. But didn't
2: Jumanji didn't it exist first, and then they made a board game about it?
1: Uh, no, I think it like was contained within. Really? Yeah, like I there think there
2: already was a board game called Jumanji. No. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it's not the same thing, then.
1: No, but that's the only other board game based movie. I'm I can googling
2: think of. it. Keep talking.
1: Um. Yeah, I, I like this. Just fires on all the right cylinders. Ouija. Of... yeah, there you go. All right. That's it. Ouija <laughs> we- Two was very good. <laughs> Um but I I I really love silly dry humor. Um some of my favorite kind of movies that use that kind of humor are like uh What We Do in the Shadows, Shaun of the Dead, Monty Python. That's just that's my jam. Which is also like curious to me of why you're so reluctant to watch Monty Python movies. I've seen it. And it's just not your jam. It wasn't. <laughs> you might like it now.
2: I don't know. I've seen some clips that's pretty misogynistic stuff in that.
1: Oh, yeah. And like John Cleese is like a, a total like batty batty. In
2: real life? Yeah. Yeah. So then why? Why would I? Yeah. I
1: don't know. I don't know. But it also does a good job of kind of mimicking the chaos of playing the game Clue. <laughs> like that can just kind of unfold when you're playing with your friends or a group of people, which I really loved as well. Well,
2: I feel like they just were like, I I don't know. I actually didn't look up much trivia for this. I'm not sure why. But I feel like they just were, like, full throttle into the goofiness of, like, yeah, we're making a movie based on a board game. So what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And just went to the wall with it. They were like, we're going to take this and make it the goofiest ass thing you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And it is pretty funny. Yeah. It's pretty goofy.
1: Really goofy. It's really fun. Um, And, like, there's, like, so many nods to... to- the board game like the flooring is like the the actual board like it's all um like squares yeah <laughs> it's it's so it's so great um and yeah like i love seeing tim curry in this
2: i great. feel like this is it's got a similar atmosphere to rocky horror picture show but a little bit more accessible perhaps yeah, not quite so. Touch a touch a touch me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And more. I've got poop on my shoe.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But
2: I mean, he's playing a similar role mm-hmm. in this, right? The the person in the mansion on the hill.
1: Although it is le- less touch a touch a touch me. This movie still is kind of horny.
2: It is a pretty horny movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In some not so good ways, like people yes. keep touching. It's um do they keep touching Miss Scarlet? Yes. And she keeps being like, don't touch me. Like in, ver- in a very sexual harassy way. Yeah. Very 1980s. This is supposed to be funny, but it's not funny.
1: Hilarious.
2: Oh, my goodness. You touched her butt and she didn't want you to. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. Not so funny now. That was a little gross. But most of it holds up pretty well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. the The core silliness and goofiness of this holds up. Yeah.
2: But it is like a zany, dry humor that you're either going to like or you're not going to like. And I think mm-hmm. about half hour into the movie, if like you're not vibing it, you're probably not going to vibe it. Right, yeah. Like It takes a little bit to really get into like how goofy it is. Um. But if that isn't your sense of humor, you're probably just going to hate it.
1: How old were you when you started watching this? That's a great
2: question. Don't know the answer to it. I do know that my brother and I would quote the last line of this film all the time when we were probably too young to be quoting that line. And we're obviously not going to say what it is, but it is one of the best last lines in cinema.
1: Yeah. It is truly the last line of the movie, right? It is, yes. Yes. <laughs> it's so good.
2: <laughs> it's so good. So we used to quote that all the time. I don't know, probably elementary for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Why do you like it? Like, Why has it kind of stuck with you as like this classic movie that you've wanted to show me for so long?
2: That's also a great question. I don't know. I feel like I have a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in it. Like, mm-hmm. um, like, did somebody
1: show it to you or did you just find it? I
2: actually don't know the answer to that. I should ask my, my brother, but I feel like he has a worse memory than me. <laughs> I do know that he and I would watch it together. So I'm guessing then that it was sometime after my parents separated, but then I would have been 12 because he and I kind of did more together at that point because we would go to my dad's every second weekend but my older Mm. sisters didn't have to so my brother and i often talk about that like we almost had a different childhood than them because we were expected to go and spend time with like our step family and they were not right um and around that time like my brother and i watched a lot of things together and kind of bonded and i have a lot of memories of that like that's when we watched like the langoliers right and like just just really goofy stuff and we would just make fun of it and watch it together. I'll have to ask him. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm curious. Oh, really, really fun conversation here. Me just saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know.
1: <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I was just kind of curious. Cause like, it's just, yeah. One of those things that I can, I can sense that you have like, a bit of nostalgia wrapped up in it, but I'm just kind of curious of where that started.
2: I didn't watch it nearly as much as like, what's in like a bill and Ted. Like I was so excited to show you that. Cause I used to watch that on repeat as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um. But I've seen this a handful of times and I think I just, I think when I saw it, it maybe was one of the first times I saw a movie with this kind of humor mm. and it really clicked for me. So there's another movie that I've been trying to get you to watch for a really long time and I think we've started at least once and not finished that has a similar sense of humor, which is Young Frankenstein. Right, yeah. Um, And I think that like that kind of, like this has a British humor, even though it's not a British movie.
1: Yeah. It's just like that dry, like, I kind of likened it to, like, What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, Shaun yeah, of the Dead, Monty Python, like, that's just, that's the vibe. Yeah. So I think that
2: I was, it was one of my early introductions to that kind of humor, which still to this day is kind of my favorite mm-hmm. comedy. Um, yeah. I also loved Clue, and still love Clue, like the game. Yeah. So, I did see a complaint on a letterbox review that the people should have been in the colors
1: yeah i get that yeah it, it was a weird decision to like put on some subtlety because like i feel like they should have just like they're already leaning into like the silliness the goofiness they should have just gone like full hammy and done
2: like kernel mustard's all in yellow
1: yeah done the whole thing yeah
2: pretty stacked cast though
1: yeah it's pretty good yeah no this, this was fun i had a lot of fun with this yeah I'm glad. So, I'm so glad I finally got to watch I'm,
2: it. I'm not glad that I'm a monster who like pulled this out when uh, one of our friends wanted to watch it with us because I can't tell the difference between Clue and Clueless. But <laughs> nonetheless, I am glad you've seen it. Yeah. So, how did Clue make you feel?
1: Um. Yeah. Happy to have seen it. It just made me feel silly. Like it mm-hmm. just kind of like because it was silly. It just kind of put me in that mood. So yeah. It just kind of. It was. Silly by osmosis.
2: <laughs> Silly by <laughs> osmosis. Um, yeah, I already mentioned it, but I just have a nostalgia wrapped up in this that just lightens my heart and just brings me back to like something I liked as a kid. So really fun to be able to share that with you. Yeah, so nice. So nice.
1: All right. Continuing the journey of thoughtful, emotional films of the week, I chose the 2018 drama... If Beale Street could talk oh. uh, it's directed by Barry Jenkins, written for the screen by Barry Jenkins, but based on the book by James Baldwin. It stars Kiki Lane as Tish, Stefan James as Fawny, the incomparable Regina King, as Sharon uh, T- Tiona. Tiona Paris as Ernestine, candy Candyman alum, Tiona Paris, as well as Candyman alum, Coleman D- Domingo as Joseph the synopsis a young woman embraces her pregnancy while she and her family set out to prove her childhood friend and lover innocent of a crime he didn't commit so i i'm going to go into this a little bit more later but i just really love barry jenkins approach to filmmaking and so i wanted to work our way through his catalog uh of work
2: doesn't he just have two movies
1: he he does, but well, I think he has another one as well and oh. then uh, there's a series as well. But again, we'll get oh, into that in yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah. um, but I also just wanted to continue watching some more emotional stories after last week was so like group watch focused and mm-hmm. kind of a little bit more fun focused. So what did you think of if Beale Street Could Talk?
2: I mean I also a movie I've wanted to watch because Moonlight is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It's undeniable. Um, I still can't
1: believe it won best picture like I'm (gasps) so like that was such a mess at the Oscars like just have we told that story? I don't think so
2: that we like we are Oscars people with a sense of cynicism around the Oscars but we do watch them every year
1: it's all like spectacle now it's all like just trying to find a viral moment it feels like and
2: but we had been we were watching and when La La Land was announced we just Deleted the recording,
1: turned it off, I turned it off.
2: We were like, we don't even want to. that's ridiculous. We don't even want to hear the speeches. And then I was like looking at online, I, either on Twitter, or BuzzFeed, at like most intense Oscar moments. And then it was like when La La Land was mistakenly, and then we had to go back and rewind. I don't know how we found it. I think we youtube did it or something. Yeah. Um, and didn't end up watching it live when we found out that Moonlight had actually won. So. Um, <laughs> yeah
1: what a mess it
2: was a mess it was chaos and it really was a shame that it kind of pulled that moment that should have been so momentous yeah the momentous moment wow good speaking Kylie Um, from Barry Jenkins and the team and made some people feel like you know La La Land got ripped off and made other people feel like Moonlight got ripped off and it was just it was just really a shame that that happened
1: yeah no No big time it, and just like I mean, to be fair, we haven't seen La La Land. Don't really have an interest in seeing La La Land.
2: Other than those two are very beautiful, but. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about this more than once on the show, but like Hollywood nostalgia films don't really do it for me. Yeah. So, you know, but that, uh, the guy who made La La Land made Whiplash, didn't he?
1: Yeah, he did. And that was good. And he also made Cats, I'm pretty sure. Really? I think so. I think Damien Chazelle is like, he's like wanting to make musical type stuff. So he, and and I think he's making another one coming out that is like another musical kind of thingy. I'm
2: looking it up. Yeah, but I mean, anyway, I I did really want to see this because of because of the Barry Jenkins of it all, and as expected after seeing Moonlight, this movie is just simply beautiful. Yes, like he Barry Jenkins makes beautiful, beautiful movies. They are beautiful to look at. They just are this. You used the word while we were watching it intimate. There's this intimacy that just unfolds on the screen before you that almost makes you feel like you shouldn't be allowed to look at it. Yes, that like you're peering in on somebody's and and it, it feels like this in Moonlight too, right? On somebody's most intimate moments, mm-hmm. um, and yet Barry Jenkins is inviting us in, so it never feels like it never feels like we're doing something wrong. Yeah, I guess if that makes sense.
1: Well, here's a few things um, that I want to talk about. Uh, in regard to Barry Jenkins and his filmmaking is it, first off, it's exactly that. I feel like Barry Jenkins is a master of intimacy in his, in his films and, and what he makes. Um, He just, he just is such an expert at capturing little moments and little reactions. And these, these little, just like these, just like micro interactions or these micro moments that are just so beautiful and just so human and so just so evoke real life and he's so great at it he's also just really amazing at getting amazing performances out of his actors like he just really understands their capabilities and how to pull out just like the little um eccentricities eccentricities of of the specific actors that he has Mm -hmm. um which is also amazing but something i noticed in this that i'm pretty sure he's done in every film that he's made and i have some thoughts on this that i want to i want to share with you and kind of get your thoughts on it too is that he he likes having head on shots mm-hmm. with his actors looking down the barrel of the camera mm-hmm. um and it's typically his lead people uh when they're dealing with a hardship or they're having a moment of vulnerability mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that is Barry Jenkins interrogating us as an audience in that he chooses to focus in the stuff that we've seen at least. His stories are focused on being a black person or black people living in America. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the majority of people that are probably watching these movies are probably white audiences. So I'm wondering if these these people looking down the barrel of the camera, essentially looking at the audience is kind of like an interrogation or like kind of saying to them, like, yes, this is what's happening to me. This mm-hmm. is what's happening to us. This is who we are or what we are. And this is what we deal with. Like, it's kind of, yeah, I, I keep going back to that word. Like, it's this interrogation of his audience. I'm, I'm curious what you kind of what your takeaway is or your thought there is.
2: Yeah, I mean, I noticed that in particular, particularly with the character of Tish, yeah. Um, and it did feel confrontational in a beautiful way. Yeah. it, I wonder, it always is
1: too. Like in Moonlight, I feel like there's that a too. softness to it. Yeah.
2: But I do wonder if that gaze can function twofold so that for an a black audience, it might feel like a moment of recognition. Like I see you. Yeah. Yeah. Like we see each other. Yeah. Whereas for a white audience, which is us, it might feel like a moment of like I'm not allowing you to look away. I'm looking you in the eye, mm-hmm. and you have to confront this. Yeah, I'd be yeah, I'd be really great to have the perspective of of someone who is not white. Yeah, um, to to see how they have responded to that gaze. I'm sure there's articles about that online, but I would imagine that it's got this kind of dual function because I don't think we've talked about this before, but about um, people who are not part of the like majority that have typically made films when they do make films or make media of any kind that question of who are they for so like i i think i mentioned on the show before like i love when isa ray said she has said like she made insecure for a black audience and if white people want to watch it great but it's not for them mm-hmm. so i'd be curious to know like is barry jenkins thinking about that as he makes this both like making this for a black and for a non-black audience at the same time yeah um and like making sure that it functions in both ways because mm-hmm. he does it really deftly like it's really impressive
0: oh yeah
2: it's really really beautiful and it never feels like it's just like trauma porn yeah That's, which can so easily happen
1: well and i think that something that regrettably we haven't finished yet but his show for amazon oh, uh, the underground railroad that
2: felt a little bit more like like trauma it, trauma trauma it, it
1: does but there is also that that same like kind of signature Barry Jenkins intimacy in it as well, and like this very heavy storytelling yeah. of these people. It
2: was very heavy. Yeah, we did not finish that. Um,
1: but yeah, like I think that, but that is also a story that has trauma in it, M- more more trauma than these these kind of more just kind of. More isolated stories that he's well, d- told Different in, kind of trauma. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Traumas that when you look at all these stories together, you see how they interplay. Yes. Right? Um, which brings me to like what this film is fundamentally about. You didn't know before we started watching it, like that um setting out to prove the innocence of a crime he didn't commit. So I did know that before watching it. And it's one of the reasons that I hadn't sought it out more directly because I really struggle with that storyline you know and I understand the necessity and the reality of it and how it's functioned, particularly for folks of color and like men of color and like that's a reality Mm -hmm. but it is a storyline I do struggle with Um, how come well I struggle with the like the perpetuation that women make false accusations of rape right right like i just struggle with having that as a as a discourse because it is you know statistically people don't make false accusations about sexual assault any more frequently than the, than people make false accusations about robbery or anything else mm-hmm. and yet when we see that as like a thing that's highlighted in the media you know when we see gone girl and we see to kill a mockingbird, and we see all of these narratives like this, it can it can make it seem like that's a more frequent thing than it actually is. Right. Um now the reality is that there are white folks who falsely accused people of color of violent crimes vindictively. Like we know this to be true, right. which is why storylines like this, they do matter. Um mm. and I do think that this movie handles that part of this story really well in like giving humanity to the, to the person who is making the accusation and it's not a to kill a mockingbird situation. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I was worried about how it would be handled, which is why I wasn't like seeking this film out. I do think it was handled really well. Yeah. And, and it looks at the focus of how that accusation is rooted in racism. Yeah. Not from the accuser, but from the system.
1: Right. Yeah, and he does. Barry Jenkins does a really great job of kind of planting those seeds mm-hmm. throughout, where it's not just like this blatant, like one and done kind of scene where mm-hmm. that thing ha- kind of happens. It's like, yeah, it's it shows you how one thing led to another thing, led to another thing, and it's yeah, and it, it's kind of this system mm-hmm. that is working against this individual.
2: So in the um, end, I, I'm I'm quite happy with how it was handled, but. I will say that that is something that will automatically, if it's not handled well, I'm out. Yeah. So there's a book that people really like, um, and I guess it would be a spoiler to talk about it, but in the, in the middle of the book, the protagonist, his ex partner, accuses him of sexual assaults or something like that, and I'm just like, it's handled so poorly, and I'm just like, no, I'm out. I don't like this book anymore. Like, if you're not going to handle that with care, and there's not like a legitimate reason for it, like to perpetuate this discourse that women and other folks callously and without thought accuse people of sexual assault is just so damaging to put that discourse out into the world. Yeah. But it is handled really well in, in this film because yeah. it, that's not the case. It's not a false accusation. Mm-hmm. It's a, um, the system is harming both the person who has been assaulted and the person who has been accused. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Handled very well. Um, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. So there's two scenes early on in the movie that take place in Tisha's house. Mm -hmm. And they're incredible. Mm -hmm. They're like two of my favorite pieces of cinema that I've ever seen.
2: And some of the lines just floored me. Like some of the best lines I've ever heard in anything ever.
1: Yeah. And it's so interesting. So, you know, it's... I don't think it's spoilery to say that the first scene is tish revealing that she's pregnant to her family mm-hmm. and then the second scene is her and her family revealing that she's pregnant to Fawny's family yeah. and i think that they're both handled i mean they play out in two different ways but the way that these scenes unfold and they're quite lengthy scenes too mm-hmm. but they're just beautiful in how they're executed
2: and the contrast between them mining, like, the complexities. Yeah. Yeah,
1: But um, those are, like, two pieces from this film that, that will stick with me. They, they stand out.
2: So something that stuck with me was um, Tish's voiceovers.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And I, I haven't read If Beale Street Could Talk, but I recently read my first James Baldwin book, mm. like, just within the last month or so. Which one was it? Uh, Giovanni's Room. Of course, I'm gonna go gay first. Of course. (laughs) And like if it's a gay book, I'm gonna read it. We should all go gay first. (laughs) Um, and I can't believe I've been sleeping on James Baldwin for so long. So I am a I'm a reader. We know this. Every time we've moved, I think you've lamented how many books we have.
1: (laughs) Had to pack up and Uh, yeah, it's
2: always the biggest part of our move. We have what? How many bookshelves do we have in our house? A lot. Not enough. Not enough. Like the bookshelves are like triple stacked. Can't find anything. I have no system for organizing my books. They're all just shoved in. Except for I have one Stephen King shelf. But (laughs) even there, there's no organization. It's just all the Stephen King books on one shelf. Um, But one of the things when I read Giovanni's Room, I was just like so floored by the lyricism of James Baldwin's writing. And um, it's exactly my favorite kind of writing and I you know when I'm reading a book like that I often and I find the writing so beautiful and lyrical and just elevated beyond the story itself mm-hmm. I often have to read parts of it to you yeah, <laughs> and I read yeah. several sections of Giovanni's Room to you and so I I don't know for certain but I kind of suspect that those moments of Tisha's voiceover come directly from the book Mm. which just made me be like, well, I want to go out and read this book because after reading my first James Baldwin, I was like, I want to read everything he's done. Like he's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful writer. Mm-hmm. So good.
1: Yeah. This is great. Um, I thought, I thought the, um the romance side of this story was handled really well. Like in a way that it was both beautiful, but also complicated and complex.
2: Yeah. The, um something that really stuck with me was like the, f- first moment of sexual intimacy between Fonny and Tish Mm -hmm. I thought that that scene was one of the richest most beautiful but also most complex depictions of like the first time a couple has sex that I've ever seen on film Mm -hmm. and I like it would be a really interesting scene to study
1: well and I don't I don't know if this is silly or not and I haven't watched it in a long time so I could be off but it kind of made me think of the first, uh, the first sexual, um, scene from the Notebook.
2: Oh, I don't remember that movie very well.
1: But it, it kind of had a very similar. Is that when they're vibes. like
2: the piano and the they're on the ground? There's a they're, fire. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. remember it.
1: Yeah, like it's like ish, but like it's very intimate. It's very played out. It, but it's not. It's not like this. Beautiful. The music swells, and like the curtain, like a like curtain or yeah. like a lacy thing, kind of like le- flows in the It leaves room for the know?
2: like the human reality of it, which is that like things aren't storybook magical.
1: Yeah. There's a there's awkwardness. There's
2: hesitancy.
1: Yeah. There there's a bit of like, um, this isn't the right word, but like f- like fear, but mm, like yeah, like but like a. I haven't done this before. Like, I don't know what to expect. Kind of, kind of. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But the thing that Barry Jenkins does, which like, whatever the notebook is, I feel like in both Moonlight and this, he's continuing, like every shot of the film imbues his characters with dignity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even within that scene, like giving dignity to both of these characters as they have this like incredibly intimate moment in their lives. And as the, cinematic experience invites us in to watch that it's handled really well yeah yeah
1: yeah i agree um i just want to touch on uh the performances so kiki lane i feel like brings so much subtlety to the character of of tish that emotionally her performance just hits like a brick like
2: i haven't seen her in anything
1: neither have i
2: but really good
1: really great and um also i just want to shout out regina king yeah
2: she's really. the best
1: she's so good uh yeah like
2: she's in the leftovers which is our favorite show of all time and she's also phenomenal in uh Watchmen. Watchmen yeah she's just great
1: yeah i would really love um oh what's his name showrunner on leftovers. damon lindelof yeah i would love to see him do another thing <laughs> with regina king because <laughs> he writes really good stuff for regina king yeah um, the, uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on, uh, was the music. Beautiful. So it was composed by Nicholas Bertel, who also composed the music for Moonlight and the Underground Railroad, and is actually doing the music for that movie she said that I showed you the trailer for with Zoe Which Kassim. Barry Jenkins is
2: not involved in.
1: Not that I know of, but like, there's the, the music in all three of the things that, uh, Nicholas Bertel has done, uh, or or with Barry Jenkins, I think is just so good. And it just like it packs an emotional punch that just resonates in me. Like from the opening scene of this film, it just it it, it had me. Like mm-hmm. the the very first shot and when the music starts coming in, it's just he's really good with his with his compositions and how they complement scenes. So I'm really Excited to finish Underground Railroad so to hear more of that, but also looking forward to seeing that movie she said, which also seems like very uh, emotional and very heavy and what he can bring to the table there.
2: Before you ask the final question, I just need to correct you. Uh, Damien Chazelle did not make Cats. Who did? Uh, Tom Hooper.
1: Right. That's King Speech guy?
2: Yeah, he did the King Speech Les Miserables Danish Girl yeah, so Damien Chazelle did Whiplash, La La Land, First Man.
0: Mm, I've heard, and
2: that's he good. wrote Ten Cloverfield Lane.
1: Really interesting.
2: Yes. Yeah. So I just wanted to um make that correction before it was made for us. Oh, that's... <laughs> um, not to bring it back to La La Land when we're talking about Barry Jenkins. <laughs> um, I want to take a look here at if he's made any other movies. No, it looks like Moonlight was his first. Oh, he's got a movie called Medicine for Melancholy.
1: Yeah, I think that was his first film.
2: Okay, and we haven't seen that. No. Okay. Anyway, yes, wanted to correct you on the cats of it all. Hey, thanks.
1: You're I, I appreciate it. Um. So, if Beale Street could talk, how'd it make you feel?
2: So it made me feel a little bit like a voyeur, but like I was being invited in mm-hmm. to watch. Like not that I was a peeping tom, but that. I was being invited in to watch this really intimate thing, um, but it kept me, it like seemed to know that I had to be removed from it and just be watching it unfold. Mm-hmm. And it imbued a lot of empathy and sadness in that experience of watching it for me.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I feel like it brought me, um, aspects of it brought me a sense of warmth. Some of it, was, it kept me engaged the whole way through the movie um there's parts of it that were frustrating and upsetting um i I also like kind of felt that uh that feeling of empathy throughout and i it just kept me in awe of barry jenkins approach to filmmaking i it made me really want to finish underground (laughs) railroad because uh it was from what we what we've watched so far it's incredible
2: yeah it's just really hard to watch
1: yeah the episodes are like quite long and it is very heavy yeah um but I, I do want to finish it, and I want to see um his his other film as well. Mm-hmm. So, and excited for whatever he does next.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay, last movie of the week. Um, I actually wanted to watch this movie when we were in Halifax, but it wasn't available to rent or stream or buy anywhere.
1: Which is kind of sad. Cause yeah,
2: because it's good.
1: It's really good. Um, right.
2: but. For the win always, library rentals, Edmonton Public Library, woot woot. They had eight (laughs) copies and nobody had any of them out. So it was very easy to get. Um, So what are you doing? If you're in Edmonton, don't sleep on this. Go rent this from the library. Um, I picked the 2016 drama Love Song. So this is directed by So Young Kim and written by So Young Kim and Bradley Rust Gray. Starring Riley Keough as Sarah and Jenna Malone as Mindy. And the synopsis is, the relationship between two friends deepens during an impromptu road trip. I did not know much about this movie, but I am on a quest to bump Casey Affleck out of my most watched actor of the year (laughs) on Letterboxd. Um, Currently, I have a five-way tie Mm -hmm. between Casey Affleck, Willem Dafoe, Sam Neill, (laughs) Adam Driver, and Riley Keough. So, um,
1: just like just
2: I need to one more Willem Dafoe or one more more Riley Keough, I think, to just <laughs> make myself feel a little bit better about my most watched actor of the year. <laughs> um, but this was on a this was on a list on Letterboxd that I tend to like movies from, which is Befriending the Lyrical Loneliness of Life. I didn't know much about it. I I try and make sure that we don't have all male director, all white director weeks. Um, last week we only managed to do all, all male directors, but they weren't all white, so that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so I wanted to bring this in as like something that's not directed by a man, um, but then I couldn't find it. So I picked a movie that was directed by a man last week, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I was able to get it this week um, and I didn't know much about it at all. What did you think of it?
1: Well, first of all, when we when it started, I was a bit of a stressy mess because, <laughs> because I wasn't sure i i I didn't know anything about this movie, and I wasn't sure what the genre or tone was. So, <laughs> as it's kind of as it's starting up, I'm like, okay, there's a mom and a kid, and there's traffic. Is this like a pet cemetery thing that I'm going to be expecting here? And you had to reassure me a couple times. I'm like, it's know. not a
2: thriller. No, it's like, just a drama. It's just
1: a drama. Um. So once I kind of got past that in myself, I was able to just kind of settle into like, oh, okay, okay, I get the I get what the vibe is here. Um, I mean, first of all, Riley Keogh is just so babyly.
2: I really like Riley Keogh. So I mean, yeah, we've watched four movies that she's been in, five if you count October, but that doesn't count in my letterbox stats. I tend to think of the year as September to August because I'm a teacher. Um, mm-hmm. but Letterboxd thinks of it as January to December so we've watched her in Zola mm-hmm. which I really liked yeah that was really fun Um, this The Lodge mm-hmm. I can't remember the other two things we watched her in mm-hmm. oh Under the Silver Lake which we did not like yeah. and then I can't remember what the, the last movie we watched her in was but um, I like her a lot like she's a really good actress and I remember yeah. us saying in Under the Silver Lake that she was really underused mm-hmm. in it right like she oh, should yeah. have should have been more than just a cipher for what that film was.
1: Yeah. I would have enjoyed a lot more interplay between her and Andrew Garfield in that film. Mm-hmm. Big time. Um
2: Oh It Comes at Night was the other.
1: Oh yeah. Okay.
2: The other one we saw her in
1: Right. Um but yeah, I it also put me on to So Young Kim who directed and was one of the writers on this movie. And I would love to see more from her. Yeah. Um, Because this movie had some serious Koganata vibes.
2: Yeah. I think at one point when you were like, I'm stressed out, I'm nervous. I'm like, I think, babe, that this is more supposed (laughs) to have like the vibe of Columbus than like the scary vibe that you think is happening. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, but like, yeah, it was very much... Yeah, in the spirit of like a, yeah, like a, like a Columbus or an After Yang or something like that, just in how it's quiet, it's emotional, it's intimate, it's, and it's very thoughtful. And you can feel the emotions in the characters and you're kind of really brought into their world and you can, you can start to empathize with them. Um, and I thought it was like that was executed so well. So it makes me want to see more from So Young Kim.
2: So interestingly, She's been involved in some of some things we like she directed an episode of Hall and Catch Fire. Oh, cool. which is one of our favorite TV shows. Yeah. Um a direct uh she directed an episode of Transparent which has its issues but and we never finished it but there's things we did like about it. Mm-hmm. Um she's directed three episodes of Room 104 so speaking of Mark Duplass. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. an episode in 2017, 2018 and 2019.
1: Oh, so like one a season kind of thing.
2: Yeah, how many seasons were there of Room 104? Four. And then, mm-hmm. and then it got canceled. Um, yeah, I didn't look too closely into which episodes she directed, but we've seen the first three seasons for sure. And then she was involved in uh, that Dr. Death show that we have not seen, that new one with um, the guy from Joshua Jackson, I think, isn't it?
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
2: Yeah. Cool, cool And she's cool. got a movie with Paul Dano, so that's, i check that out.
1: Yeah. And I saw that she's also, like, she's worked with Riley Keough on something else before as well i think she did like a short or something so oh, like, nice yeah
2: but yeah you liked the vibe you were like I, oh, i'm yeah. interested in the vibe of this director
1: yeah big time especially like once you kind of likened it to columbus i'm like okay i'm all in i love, the, <laughs> I love that sort of vibe um
2: so it's the type of movie that the plot exists in the unsaid spaces
0: yeah right in yeah. the
2: in the ways the camera captures a look or the um physical distance between two people, the way that the camera shows that or doesn't show it, um so it's really one of those movies that like there's a list on letterbox, I'm not sure if this is on it, but it's like nothing really happened but the vibes <laughs> you know where like you know, it's not it's not for everyone where the movie is more about the experience of it than it is about dialogue or plot,
1: mm-hmm. But you like that. I do. I like that a lot. Especially just when the person who, or like when the cinematography is, becomes the focus of it. Mm -hmm. Cause then you're, you just get beautiful shot. There's a, there's a a scene in this movie that takes place on a, uh, a Ferris wheel. And again, it's just, that's the standout scene from this movie that when I think about this movie, I will think about this scene that it is it is gorgeous the acting's gorgeous but like it's i think it's just like a i think it's just a wonder and the way it plays out is it's so well done but yeah when and much yeah much like a columbus or an after yang or or other films of that sort of ilk are presented and the way that the the visual is kind of the most important or the most thought out thing not not the most but like it is at the forefront of the film Mm -hmm. I'm just like yum 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 I love the visual candy
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's a really interesting pairing with particularly if Beale Street could talk because they both have that intimacy to them Yeah, big time that is created through the cinematography Mm -hmm. I mean I would describe this as a slice of life film where we cut in and then we cut out and the rest of it's up to you.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. And do we cut out? I, like, that's how I knew how invested I was in this because.
2: You went, that's it?
1: Yeah. As soon as it cut to black and the like directed by credits started rolling, I was like, I, I, I said, that's it. Like, if you had a bubble, I popped it immediately. <laughs> you did. I could have easily watched another hour of this movie. Yeah. I, was in, I was just so, like, lost and enraptured by it that the, it flew by even though it was a, 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 arguably a slower burn kind of movie. But it just, it got to the end and I wasn't ready for it, yeah. <laughs> for it to end. Uh, I could have watched so much more of it. Um,
2: what I love about that, I'm a big, I, I like slice of life writing and um, film, mm-hmm. is that that's what real life is like. There's people who come into our lives for a moment and then, Sometimes we don't even realize that they haven't been in our lives. And we're like, hey, what about that person?
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: we just never know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, they're just, they're out living their lives somewhere, but we just don't know what those lives are like because they only crossed our paths for this particular moment. And that was it. And we wish them well. And and that's that, right? And I feel like this film captures that, this amount of time you spend with a person. and And it can be deeply intimate and it can be profound and life-changing and, and resound in you forevermore. And yet you lose touch and you just don't know what's happened with that person. And we are the viewer experiencing that, like yeah. where we become invested in that. And then we just don't get to continue to know what yeah. it's done.
1: Yeah. And I'm with you. I love slice of life stories like that. Like I, I find them so compelling. And like, that's something I try to push for in, the work that I do, especially when I when I'm doing like video projects or like commercials at at, at work, like I try to push for these slice of life <laughs> stories that just tell a very this show like this really ble- brief glimpse into a person's life or their situation, whatever it is. Um, but still like trying to pull emotion out of that, and That's then my favorite, and then you, you dip in and then you dip out. And I, I don't
2: need a plot. I just need characters and emotions, but it ain't for everyone. No. There'd be people who are like, well, what's the story? I'm like the stories in the glances.
1: Yeah. Stories well, in the
2: way they're looking at each other or this, not looking at each other.
1: Cause this, like I give this, I think I gave this a four and a half out of five, but it, it's sitting at like a six point something on IMDb. It's got a 10. higher
2: letterbox rating.
1: And like, Pish I,
2: posh IMDb.
1: Because I, I feel like it's just those people. It's probably a lot of people that are like, what's the point? Like mm-hmm. what like what was this about? Like, where's the action? <laughs> but like I it doesn't I don't know. I, I'm with you. Like if you give me really great characterization, um, I can just watch characters I I'm really invested in do nothing. Yep. And just
2: look at each other. And just
1: shoot it really pretty and I'm <laughs> in.
2: <laughs> I mean, this is another movie like Paddleton that I think depending on my mood state of mind where I'm at could hit me harder Mm -hmm. as you said I've been a little bit sicky sicky this week and so (laughs) I uh, wasn't as focused and and drawn in as I normally would be Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it hit you a little bit harder Mm -hmm. Um, but I could see myself returning to this movie at a particular time and being really impacted by it yeah (laughs) just
1: like on a day where we just throw on like so we throw on this, we throw on some Coganata. We just like live in this like beautiful, like kind of plotless, just wonderful world of characters. We
2: did watch this after totally unexpectedly watching the entire second season of Love on the Spectrum. Yeah, which was a a weird, <laughs> weird day. Um, although I will say, Love on the Spectrum season two has one of the most beautiful wedding vows I've ever heard in my entire life.
1: Yeah. I was like, "Damn, where did this come from? Yeah. Why am I about to cry right now?"
2: So we we, we wedding vows so nice. We listened to them twice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but to take it back to love song, how did this movie make you feel?
1: So once I got past my little stre- stressy <laughs> mess, and you coached me through that, I was so invested in this movie. Uh, I was so into the characters and, and their relationship to each other, and how that changed and evolved again. Because it's like slice of life; like you just kind of dip in and dip out, and you don't you don't know where. You don't necessarily know where it came from. Mm-hmm. It's it's the cotton I Joe of it all. You don't know where it came from, you don't <laughs> know where it goes. Um, <laughs> all right, Nick Miller. <laughs>
2: um
1: it it also just on a personal note made me grateful we're not getting married or having kids. Yeah. Ugh. Um and yeah, it made me want to seek out like it made me feel like I want to seek out more from this from this director and mm-hmm. it made me want to rewatch some coconut.
2: <laughs> nice.
1: Um yeah, how about you?
2: Made me wistful. Mm, nice made me a little sad
1: the word wistful makes me think of like little smokies that are like kind of like dancing you yeah. know yeah
2: that's a perfect image mm-hmm. great visual yeah yeah but I, I really liked it I'm glad that the library had it and I was able to watch it
1: yeah real, again real shame that it's not readily available on any streamer but
2: if you're in Edmonton there's eight copies we're bringing one back today probably or tomorrow so do it go get it
1: alright The time of the week where we talk about bad dads and rad dads. Yes, we do. Who's your bad dad nominee of the week?
2: My bad dad nominee of the week is Tim Curry as Wadsworth.
1: Oh, all right. All right. How come?
2: (laughs) A little manipulative. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Just a tad. Withholding. Mm Mm-hmm. Goofy, but not at the right time.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Smells like poop. (laughs) And he smells like poop.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And he won't tell you that it's him. He'll let you think it's you. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's some bad dad energy.
1: Some gaslight energy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Sounds like that wasn't your pick. Tell no, me.
1: No, it wasn't. Um, my pick was Mrs. Hunt or Fonny's mom um, from oh. If Beale Street Could Talk. Yeah. Um, she, and She's only in one scene in this movie. And in that scene, she gets across that she's cold, that she has a toxic relationship with her family, and that her her beliefs close her off to the emotional needs of those around her. Mm-hmm. So if somebody else in her family or somebody else that she's responsible for needs any sort of special care or needs something more from their from their mom, um if it if it's at any way at odds with whatever her beliefs are, she just shuts it down and will not engage with you at all yeah and that can be really hard as a child like as as somebody that's looking for some good dad energy and you're just gonna shut me down it because uh we're a little bit at odds even a little bit at odds about something like
2: this is where it gets tricky for me though because she's got bad mom energy to me as opposed to bad dad energy
1: right so i i didn't i didn't meet the assignment
2: yeah that's what i'm saying <laughs> yeah she does have bad mom energy big time Mm -hmm. um yeah
0: okay
2: i agree i don't want her as my mom she's also facing some difficult things that like are just hinted at in the film
1: what makes it mom versus dad
2: Uh, the day is not the day (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right so tim curry
2: <laughs> we'll have that conversation another time i need more time to think about it
1: <laughs> sounds good
2: okay tim curry wadsworth
1: <laughs> get out of here
2: bye
1: <laughs> um rad dad yeah um i picked sharon regina king oh from if Beel street could talk yeah um, I was just in awe of her how compassionate she was um she's fair mm-hmm. um and like she she doesn't like put aside her emotions. she expresses them even if they are at odds, but she does it mm-hmm. carefully and mm-hmm. thoughtfully um I feel like she's also very logical um but she's also and she's also willing to go the extra mile for her kids um or people that are important to her mm-hmm. kids and even take on the emotional labor of that herself uh, to get things done. And yeah, it's, it's just like, that's some rad energy right there. I love that. How about you?
2: I picked Ray Romano's character of Andy.
1: Mm-hmm. Also a good choice.
2: I said he's supportive, loving, not invincible, but ultimately able to see what others need, put his own feelings to the side to, to give that support. Um, This is where I'm feeling tricky again. Like, are we taking away from Regina King if we call her rad dad energy instead of rad mom energy? Like, we we got into this a little bit with Everything Everywhere All at Once where it's like it feels like it's taking something away from Evelyn to name her as a dad instead of a mom.
1: Hmm. I don't have an answer. Like, I feel... Like in the comparison between our two folks, like I, I think that um, what Sharon's character or the character of Sharon is bringing to the table is just a lot more. I feel just a, has a little bit more confidence behind their decision. I agree. Um,
2: like it takes it takes Andy a long time to get there.
1: Yeah. Like I feel like if Sharon were a single parent, she can embody both mom energy and dad energy.
2: I I am with you. I feel like in maybe the comparison to everything everywhere all at once isn't fair because I feel like Evelyn is mom energy entirely. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, I think that Sharon has that yeah, that embodiment of both. Mm -hmm. Like in the way we talked about um, OJ and Emerald as co-parents, like Regina King's character of Sharon has both of those (laughs) wrapped up in her. Like the the mom and the dad, Um and of course, dad is an energy, not a gender. So I'm with you here, and I love Regina King so much. So Regina oh, King's character Sharon, yeah, dad. dad, nice noise.
1: Um, okay. For the rad wreck of the week this week, I just wanted to I wanted to talk about the state of movie trailers.
2: <laughs> the state of
1: <laughs> so movie trailers have become a bit of a complicated thing we've had some really good conversations especially when we're in halifax with our our new friend rich about movie trailers and um how they've kind of just become too revealing Mm -hmm. um i think that thing i think that what is being done pretty well for the most part are teaser trailers because it gives you a taste. Like an example of this is when we went to see Nope. They have a teaser for Christopher Nolan's new film, Oppenheimer. Ooh, good and, teaser, and it is an excellent teaser trailer. It's, I mean, I I don't feel like if you if you don't know who Oppenheimer is, the the teaser trailer does not explain who he is you like it, but it, it it generates intrigue and makes you want to be like what is this all about mm-hmm. or like who what, what is going on here and i feel like that's what a good teaser should do it should kind of implore you to
2: which a tease should make you want to see more
1: yeah but <laughs> i i feel like the more does not need to be a, a follow-up trailer that explains the everything. entire film yeah yeah because like um i don't know yeah i think I think we talked about this last week but like the teaser for Nope was really great.
2: Although I in retrospect think it's too revealing as well.
1: But watching the final trailer for Nope, I'm so glad we avoided it because it lays out way way too much and kind of it it just it shows too much and I I feel like it's the same thing with thinking back to when we watched all everything that was being dropped for spider-man no way home yeah like i feel like the initial trailer was really good or like the the teaser trailer was really good and then by the time the full trailer came out i almost wish there was stuff that i hadn't seen in that that i was surprised by in by just going to see the movie and yeah like um it was funny when we went to see We went went to see no I I can't remember if we talked about this last week, but we saw the teaser trailer for that Moon Age Daydream, I think is the David Bowie movie that's coming out. Something like that. But it was a killer teaser trailer. And our friend Rich leaned over to you and was like, That's how you do a
2: that's
1: that's how you do a trailer. And then there was a full length trailer for the movie Bullet Train. And then he after at the end of that, he leaned over and was like, That's not how you do a trailer. Um so yeah, I think that. Something that I'm going to start doing moving forward and maybe you're on the same boat as me in that maybe we'll watch teaser trailers and then try to just kind of like watch them once and then just like forget about.
2: Yeah, I can't remember if it was Rich or Jeremy or both that said that that's kind of their practice. Watch a teaser when it drops and then never watch it again. Yeah. so by the time you see the movie. Because we did encounter that with Everything Everywhere All at Once where we had seen the trailer, but we'd seen it so long ago and we hadn't rewatched it that we didn't really remember it. And then when we went and watched the trailer after we had seen the movie, we were like, holy crap, that gives away the whole movie. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Everything Everywhere All at Once, do not watch the trailer. Yeah. Like, do not. um, Because so much of that movie, what's delightful about it is the surprise. Um. Now, I love trailers, though. So this is the problem. Me too. I love them. I love... You know, we we don't do it so seriously, but we play like a movie trailer game kind of just for fun. When we're at the movies, like who can guess what the title of the movie is first? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like we're going to be closing our eyes and plugging our ears a lot more. I did encounter this with, we're going to be in Toronto in like a week and a bit um, with our friend Ashley. And we're going to watch a bunch of movies with her. And Bodies, Bodies, Bodies comes out when we're there. Mm-hmm. And I really want to see it. And so I was like, hey, would you be up, like to Ashley, I said, would you be up to seeing this while we're in Toronto, trying to like catch a matinee because the two evenings that were there when it's going to be out are days that we're going to concerts. Um, And I said, I actually don't think that this trailer reveals too much. Mm -hmm. I actually don't think it does. Now, I could be proven wrong in the end, but the teaser and the full trailer, I both feel like do a good job of not revealing everything. Mm -hmm. But we'll see. Yeah.
1: That's a thing. Right? I
2: will come back to that again once I've uh, seen the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
2: yeah, I guess the rad wreck is teasers only one yeah. time.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's something that you know we're we're recommending it, but we're also kind of starting to just employ it, employ it ourselves. Yeah. So new practice. Yeah. So I, yeah. People I, change. Yeah, I think it's just you know watch whatever the first release trailer is once um and then kind of forget about it and if you're interested yeah. in it go see the film
2: yeah i think i think what the rad wreck really hit, is here is maintain the mystery yeah we love a mystery we love a mystery movie pick i'm really getting into like i pick a movie and i don't really know anything about it yeah like when i picked thelma last week i was like this could be terrible i don't really know
1: <laughs> yeah
2: so yeah rad wreck let the mystery guide you
1: oh my god that's great i love that <laughs>
2: Off the top of my head.
1: That's so great. All right. <sighs> Thank you all for listening so, so much. Uh, we drop a new episode every Thursday. But you can follow us and sign into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. Uh, on Twitter at baddadraddad. You can get a sneak peek of what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts. Links to those are in the show notes. And we'll absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a rating, review, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening from. Well, that's going to do it for these stinkies for this week. So until next time.
2: I'm Kylie and my dad's dead.
1: I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat.
2: But remember,
1: not all dads have to be bad.